Hallelujah. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin there again this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to try my best to accomplish two things this morning. Some of you are looking at me. Don't look at me funny, okay? And strange, this ain't my iPad, okay? I don't carry a pink iPad case. I'm just, just in case, sure. I have four women in my house, so there's a lot of pink in my house. But uh, I didn't print this morning. I'm trying something a little different. I'm going to try to use her iPad this morning to, to minister from. I'm trying to just save some trees. You know what I'm saying? Doing my part for the environment. That's what I'm trying to do. Amen? Ephesians chapter 6. I want to I try to accomplish two things this morning. We've been talking about prayer. We've been praying together. And the word that came to me was... It's not about us praying together, but that together we're praying. And that's why we've set up these nights of prayer. Now, come on, guys, don't, don't, let's not be outdone by the women. Because I'm telling you, the women are going to show up and they're going to pray. We're going to come in here next week and it's just going to be saturated because the women are going to, women are prayers. Come on, men, let's pray together. Can I call you, can I call you out and ask you to come tomorrow night and join us in prayer? All right, so four of you will be there. That's good, amen. We'll start there. So we've been talking about prayer, and really what the Lord said was before you talk about prayer, you've got to talk about how you approach God. And we talked about our position and how we approach God. I'm not going to go back over that. And we talked last week from Matthew chapter 6 about how Jesus said, don't pray as these hypocrites do. And we laid out some foundations for prayer. It's not about long prayers. It's not about how much you say. It's about what you say. Somebody say amen. amen. It's about coming to God in private, in your, prayer in your prayer closet. And you're not coming to God, but you're coming to your daddy. He said, when you go to your father, he didn't say when you come to God, when you go to your father, it's about coming to your daddy. We used the illustration last week, even uh, as I brought my daughter up, and I said, why don't you get on your knee and, and do like this and say, oh, I worship you, Father, and how awkward that was. I don't know, it was awkward for me, how awkward that was. But yet, she's my daughter, and so when she comes and she just barrels in and just says, Daddy, 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 and she really doesn't care about the atmosphere or the environment, they'll just, you know, Daddy, I got a question, I want to ask you something. They'll run into my office, and you'll be on, y'all don't have this problem. Your kids probably don't interrupt you when you're on the phone, do they? I mean, you have the phone in the ear, and then just the world stops because they got a question. That's how we are to approach our Heavenly Father. Boldly. Boldly. See, you already hit on me. And so I want to accomplish two things. I want to talk to you about two major hindrances that I see as it relates to us in our prayer life. And I want to talk to you about what prayer actually is doing, what, what we have in prayer. I'm going to try to get to the second one. I'm, I'm going to try to go through this. And, but you believe in with me this morning. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 6.18 says, the whole beginning in verse 10 talks about the whole armor of God. And he goes through the entire armor of God. And in verse 18, he says this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. How many of you know prayer is not just important, it's just a part of our life as a believer? Now we can, uh, 
we can make a, um, um, we can, what's the word? I, won't, I don't want to say mechanize. We can make prayer a mechanism. We can treat it like it's a machine. We can treat it like it's a motor. And we can try to operate that prayer as a motor and as a, as a um, mechanism. But how many of you know that's not prayer? Prayer is simply a dialogue between you and your Father. Uh, how awkward would it be if every time we approached one another, we approached one another with the same tactical structured vocabulary that would be just awkward there's no relationship in that prayer is the same way when Jesus said in Matthew 6 pray like this he didn't say pray this he said pray like this and if time permits I'm going to take you over to Acts no let's just go ahead and go there now amen let's just go I'm just going to jump out there and just get started Acts chapter 6 I want you to begin there Acts chapter 6 so Jesus said in Matthew chapter um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, pray like this. Hallelujah. No, forgive me, Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested. Peter and John were thrown into prison. Peter and John were taken out and told them to forbid not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus anymore. So Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all know that prayer. Now, we also talked about there's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When Jesus came, He had not yet fulfilled the New Covenant. He was still fulfilling the Old Covenant. And so a lot of times in things that He said, you still have to interpret it in light of the New Testament. So when He said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those, we already know according to the Word of God, I don't have time to go into it, but we already know that our trespasses have been forgiven now. Our sins have been washed away. Confession for the believer is confession one to another to cleanse us from all. It is to heal one another. That's why we confess to one another. But as far as he's concerned, he doesn't see our sin because he took care of it. Do you, are you understanding? I don't have, listen, go online. We got all the stuff we preached on that. I don't want to get into that because I want to get to where we're going. But I'm setting the stage because I want you to get, I want you to watch this. Acts chapter 4. How many of you know this is after Jesus has died, buried, raised again, and then ascended into the Father? This is after. This is after the book. This is after the Holy Spirit came. This is where we live today. Are you following me? Acts chapter 4, verse 22. And being let go, they went unto their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, our Father, who art in heaven. He said, who made heaven and earth and the sea? What does that sound like? Our Father who art in heaven and all that is in them. 
Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The king of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. He's saying, who, how can they say anything? Oh Lord, you created all this we see, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What difference does it make? How can they be? How can the kings and the rulers come against you? Because it doesn't matter. If God be for us, I like what Dad Hagen used to say. Dad Hagen, many of you uh, know that's where I went. This is one of my fathers in the faith that said, Dad Hagen used to tell us, if God be for you, what difference does it make who's against you? What difference does it make? Notice what they said. Verse 29. Now, O Lord, look on to their threats. That's all they said about the problem. They spent... Now, you know that the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse, right? You know that the chapter and the verses were added later for reference, but they weren't added. But just for the sake of where we're at, so they said, verse 24, verse 25, verse 26, and verse 27, and verse 28. So they spent five verses talking about who God is, and they spent a third of verse 28, verse 29, talking about the problem to me that's a key one of the things about prayer that you'll find that I have found with people is we pray more about the problem than we do about the solution that's already been provided about the problem and so we end up magnifying the problem oh Lord Jesus help us Lord what we're going to do we're going to tear it today we're, listen I'm going to tell you Monday night and Tuesday night we ain't coming to pray about no problem I said, we ain't coming to pray about no problem. We're going to pray about who God is because the more we pray about God and the more we magnify God, the itty-bitty that problem gets. They said, if you preach in the name of Jesus anymore or teach in the name of Jesus, we're going to kill you. Oh, Lord. So they spent 30 minutes talking about God and then they spent half a second talking about the problem. And they said, now, Lord, behold their threats. And what did they say? And grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. There's something about prayer that when we pray according to the Word of God, number one, number two, we pray within our rightful position to God, that's number two, there is a boldness that comes outside of prayer that we are endowed with, that we are given boldness to approach the kingdom business that he's called us to do and there's a boldness that comes along with that that doesn't come from any other place outside of prayer. I know a lot of people who know the Bible and they don't have any boldness. 
I'm going to say this because I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to tip you over too far over the edge because you know we still got a pretty good ways to go. But how many of you know it's not the word of God that saves a man? It's the one who wrote the word of God that saves the man. This word drives us to Him. This is not. Now I know. Okay, I know, Pastor. Well, Pastor. The Word of God was made flesh and dwelt among men. That's right. The Word was made flesh. This Word should drive us to His flesh. This Word drives us to God Almighty. This Word takes us into a place of relationship. You can't have a relationship with just the Word. You've got to have a relationship with the one who wrote the Word. And so now we become, now we become and we begin to see this. It's kind of like this. How many of you have ever had a long-distance relationship? Anybody? Anybody? All right. How many of you have been separated from your spouse or your loved one for quite a while? You know, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Anybody? Now, would you rather have a letter every day from that person or would you rather be with that person? Well, that's no different than this. This is a letter. This is His Word to us. How would you like, would you rather have, would you rather read the Word or would you have the one that wrote the Word read it to you? Come on now, that's for somebody. Would you rather read, well, I mean, I know people who can quote this better than I can. But they don't, they don't know the one who wrote it. I tell people all the time, I may not be able, I can't find the street address, but bless God, I know what the house looks like. You know what I'm saying? I know what color the carpet is. I know what kind of mailbox is on the outside. I, sometimes I, I'm, I'm believing and understanding uh, at, at a better, at a greater way, the Holy Spirit's ability to bring that forth out of me. But bless God, I know what it says. But more than that, I endeavor to know the one who said it more than I want to know who, what it said. Because if I know the one who says it, what do you think they did in the old days? Man, I'm taking off rabbit trail all kinds. But seriously, a hundred years ago, they didn't have phones. They sure enough didn't know what Google was. I mean, you can find anything with Google. You can, I mean, you can completely butcher the verse and Google will find it. Thou hast made heavens and earth, and by your stripes I shall overcome everything that comes to me by His grace who has strengthened me, shall an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in Jesus' name. And they will pull up every verse. They didn't have Google a hundred years ago. They had them big old Schofield Bibles. You know what I'm talking about? Them big old Bibles. And they didn't tote them around. So what was the difference? How, I mean, how did they get to, what, did, what happened? They placed value on the Word, but they placed more value on the one that wrote the Word and His ability to bring forth the Word that you have put in there when you need it. So when we come to God, we don't come to God, hmm, how can I say it? When we come to God in prayer, we don't come to God in prayer based on our knowledge of the Word and our ability to quote it verbatim. We come to God on the heart of His love for us. He gave us His Word to empower us, to free us, to strengthen us, to equip us. But we don't come going, oh, I memorized 15 verses and that's how I'm coming to you. No, we come to Him because of a relational aspect. 
And this word is part of that relational aspect. How much of the time did they spend talking about the problem? About that much. And really and truthfully, they didn't even give, now listen to me, they didn't even give uh, words, they didn't even articulate the problem. They really articulated where the problem was coming from. And now, Lord, we're just going to pause for just a minute. Behold what them fools done said. And now grant unto thy servant, and they went right back to being equipped and empowered to continue to do what they were told not to do. And we get scared because they take prayer out of school. Well, you know, you, you can't pray for somebody on the job. Try and stop me. Well, you're being rebellious. No, they're being rebellious. Now, when I was involved with the ministry years ago, they would tell us, they would sit us down, there was, a, there was a couple of us, and they would sit us down and they would say, now we know that you're charismatic, and we know that you believe in speaking in tongues. We don't want you to speak in tongues, and we forbid you to talk about it to any of these students. But we love you. And I said, okay. Well, let me say it this way. I'm not going to purposely try to cause division, but I'm not going to ignore somebody who's asking me a question either. See, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. So they've, they've told us and, 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 and put this mandate on us that now we're not allowed to do certain things in our society. And that's exactly the mandate that sounds familiar. It sounds like Acts chapter 4. You can't pray in school. You can't use the name of Jesus. They tried to kick Duck Dynasty off the air because Phil Robertson was using the name of Jesus. And now they're in season 9. And they use more of his name. Every episode in your son, Jesus' name, who died on the cross. Amen. You, they don't cut it out. Because, because they're trying to limit where our power and where our authority comes from. And their solution was, granted to thy servants that with all boldness. So you follow me? Alright, so there's, there's two. So I gave that. That's free. I won't charge anything for that. Hebrews chapter 4. Go there. Hebrews chapter 4. I want to get into this. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. There's two primary that I say. There's two major. There's not the only hindrances. Okay? If you have an argument and you fussing with your wife, your prayers are going to be stopped up. Okay? That's just... I'm not talking... I want to talk about the two major... Because really that one stems from one of these two. I want to talk to you about two hindrances, and then we're going to get into some other stuff. Two hindrances. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Somebody say boldly. To the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly. All right, so let me set the stage. So he's talking about the promise of rest. He's talking about our compassionate high priest and how we have a high priest and how that high priest was Jesus. He goes in, he laid the blood on the altar and once and for all solidified everything. And now we have the ability to come before God as if sin never existed. And he still says, therefore, 
How many of you remember English class? Remember English class? When you see a therefore, what are you supposed to do? Find out what it's there for. Because we have a high priest. Because we can come to that place. Because he has laid his stripe. Because he's laid his blood. Because he's made the penance. Because he's provided all of that. Therefore, come boldly. I find it interesting that he tells us to do something to come boldly to the throne to find grace and help in time of need. That tells me this, that my natural inclination is not going to be to come boldly to the throne. My flesh is not going to come boldly to the throne. It's not going to naturally, it's not going to naturally flow in that direction. Does that, does, does that make sense? Your flesh cannot be trusted no further than it can be thrown. Paul said, I place no confidence in the flesh. My confidence and my help comes from the Lord. But there is something about coming boldly to the throne that bypasses our natural inclination from the flesh. Now your spirit, but because we haven't developed the human spirit, we don't know much about the human spirit. We know more about the mind and the flesh. We try to approach God from a fleshly or a mindful standpoint. And this is talking about the spirit. There is a spirit that cries out, the Bible says, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. That spirit that's within you cries out, and now we can come boldly. He says, therefore, come boldly. That tells me that we don't have a natural inclination to do so. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll turn there. Galatians chapter 5, he says this. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things you wish. Listen to me. Your flesh is contrary to the things of the Spirit. Your flesh is contrary to the things of the Spirit. Your flesh doesn't want to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and pray. Your flesh doesn't want to get on the treadmill and run. Your flesh don't want to get up on a cold, rainy, wet Sunday morning and come to church. Your flesh, listen, you can act spiritual if you want to, but I know mine don't. I don't do it because my flesh wants to. I do it because my spirit says, you will obey. So when you come to God, when you, so what, what am I saying? The number one, one, not the number one, I don't want to say that. One of the major hindrances that I have found is unworthiness. It flows good with what happened this morning. There's an unworthy, we sense an unworthiness. Sometimes we see, well, you're just prideful. No, it's not always pride, it's unworthy. There's a sense of unworthiness. I don't feel worthy to come boldly to the throne of grace. I mean, I just got done putting my cigarette out. I don't feel worthy. I spent the first part of my life in sin, and now I've been born again for 50 seconds, and you're telling me to come boldly. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. And I'm here to tell you your flesh has nothing to do with your ability to come boldly to the throne of grace. Unworthiness. See, if the devil can't talk you out of it, he'll try to tell you that you're not worthy of it. 
He'll tell you you don't need it. But then when you do get it, He'll tell you you don't deserve it. <laughs> he'll try to prevent you. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody here want to give their life to Jesus, just stand up. And your flesh goes, no! Your flesh has a voice. Y'all don't, some, sometimes people go, well, my flesh, it, it's not that loud. Okay, don't eat anything today. And then call me later and tell me your flesh doesn't have a voice. The devil, the enemy, religion, will try to tell you that you don't need salvation, but then when you get it, he'll tell you you don't deserve it. Then when you rectify you don't deserve it, he'll say, yeah, but you can't utilize it. He's, all, he's a liar. He's accuser of the brethren. Now, how many of you know that You are governed by two things in your life. I don't have time to teach on this, but I'm going to throw it out there. So here we go. There are two things that you govern your life by. One is your flesh, and the other is what you believe. Is there anything else that you govern your life by? What is faith? Everybody wants to quote, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. No, most commentators would tell you that's what faith will do. It's a description of faith, but it's not the core of what faith is. What is faith? Faith is a persuasion. Faith is a conviction based upon what you believe. Faith is simply, Langston, what you believe. You want to know what you believe? What have you been doing? What have you been responding from? Now, listen to me. You can respond from your beliefs or you can respond from your flesh. <laughs> I'm not going to pull you up here like Brother Norman did, but if I was to slap you, you have a choice. You can respond from your flesh and try to knock me out. Or you can respond from your beliefs that you know that the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. And he said, turn the other cheek. You have a choice. Now, if you respond from your flesh, does that, does that mean that you don't have that belief in you? No. Come on now. It's a choice. So if you take a sin, let's take a child, a three-year-old, my, my little three-year-old running around worshiping the Lord. Okay. If I hold her to a 10-year-old mentality standard, that's unfair and unjust of me because she's three. She's a child. You're 40 years old. You ain't no child. But yet, we look at the world and we look at sinners and we go, you should know better. They're a child. They don't know. Paul said, Paul said uh, I came, when I came to you, I came with milk. And desire to feed you meat. But I can't feed you meat for you are still unable. For you need the milk of the word. How many of you know babies need milk? 
And so the Word of God will form. Let me tell you this. The Word of God, the reason we preach the Word, the reason we're a Word church, the reason we believe in the Word of God and hammer on the Word of God is because your beliefs, what you believe, your convictions should be based off of the Word of God because that's truth. But your beliefs and that are based on the Word of God will always be contrary to your flesh. Really? I mean, some of you are like, really? Yeah. That's why he said 10%. Give 10%. Some people don't give 2%. Why? Because it's contrary to your natural fleshly inclination. You can't understand giving God 10% because you're responding from your... And so we beat people up. You should know better. But they don't know better because they've never been taught the Word of God. They've never been taught that if you give, it's going to be given back to you. They've never taught like what Ed prayed a while ago. God, it ain't ours anyway. We're simply stewards of what you've given us. If you've never been taught that, then you won't place value on the thing itself and you'll respond from your flesh because when it comes time for you to write that check you or give that money, you've already given all your other money away and your flesh will go, no. Well, this is the same aspect for what we're talking about. Your flesh has a natural inclination to stay away from the presence of God because in the presence of God is where your flesh is crucified and revealed. But when you and I understand our place, our right position with God, then we come bold. Why do we come boldly to the throne? Because there's no condemnation. And you bring this in this hand and this in the other. I ain't going to say it. You know what I'm talking about. And you bring them and you come boldly to the throne of grace and you say, uh, I need help. Come on now. Why do people not come to God? Why do people not approach the church? Why do they not come to the altar and ask for prayer? Because they don't feel like they're worthy. And he just said, it don't matter what all you're doing. How many of you know you don't come boldly to the throne of grace when you don't need help? See, that tells me that you come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Are you in need this morning? Do you need help? Then you're in the right place. Come boldly. Well, you know, they've told me that I'm not worthy and... You know, that I need to get myself straight before I come to church. That's the dumbest, most idiotic, S-T-U-P-I-D thing I've heard. That's like saying, now listen, I know my car, my truck's broke. But now before I take it to the mechanic, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> Kevin, what, what are some of the most expensive uh, repairs you've had to make the ones where the customer tried to fix it or took it to somebody else who thought they knew what they were doing didn't they remember that one you were telling about the truck you had to take the whole thing apart and put it back together because they put the thing together wrong and did, did the wrong part it was very expensive listen save yourself the money and the time just show up and say look my, I'm broke that is what hinders people is a sense of unworthiness and we've taught that in the church. We've taught that in the world because we think if I ask you who in here is humble 
Who's going to raise their hand? Okay, good. What is humility? Humility is... I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get there in a minute. Humility is having a right perspective of who you are. So, number one, what hinders people from coming to God? Sense of unworthiness. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter, help me stay on track, Lord. 1 Peter said, everybody say, help the preacher. Stay on track, Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people. Uh, anybody in here younger people? Submit yourselves to your elders. All the elders, raise your hand. Elders of the church, right? Raise your hand. How many of you in here consider yourself elders? Raise your hand. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. Ready? And be clothed with humility. Now, if you're going to clothe yourself with something, then I would think it would make sense to find out, number one, what it is. And how to clothe yourself with it. But yet the world tells you and I that we can't clothe ourselves with it. Because if we clothe ourselves with it, then we're not it. How are you supposed to clothe yourself with something when the world... If I ask you again, how many of you put on some humility this morning? The world tells you that if you raise your hand, you're not humble. But that's not what it is. Humility is having a right estimation of yourself. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, go there, and then we'll come back to 1 Peter. Matthew chapter 18 says this. Help me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? Boy, them disciples, boy, they could ask some questions, couldn't they? You could just almost sense Jesus going, hmm. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I saw one of my instructors teach this, and it was powerful. If, if you ask a little child to come up, most of the time, what's the child going to do? Going to come up, Right? But I would imagine that it's very uncomfortable. If I ask any of you little children, if I ask any of you adults to come up here and stand in front of everybody, it's going to be a little uncomfortable, right? He calls this child up, sets him up here and says, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as this little child. He didn't know anything about that child's home life. How do you know that child's humble? How can you say that child is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And this is what he said. He said this, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever. He just got done saying. Whoever does, humbles himself. Just How do you know what that child... You don't know what that child's family life's like. He simply asked the child, come forth. And what did the child do? He obeyed him. Humility is understanding your position with God and responding to God when He calls. Now, 
How many of you put on humility this morning? So what is pride? Pride is when you resist what God has said. Pride is when you see yourself haughty. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at how good looking I am. Or look at how rich I am. Or look at how powerful I am. Or look at all the influence that I have. And look at how many companies I have. Look at how much businesses. Look at how many cars. Look at how many kids. Look at, I can go on and on. That's pride. But one of the things that we don't often see as pride is a resistance to the call of God. That's pride. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, let's go back to Galatians. Let him come boldly. Could therefore come Hebrews. Come boldly to the throne of grace to find what? Help in time of need. All right. What I find astonishing to me is that unworthiness and pride have the same result. When you feel unworthy, you can't find help in time of need because you won't come boldly to the throne of grace because the thing presenting you from that is what? No, unworthiness. God resists the proud, right? All right go back to Hebrews. I meant First Peter. Go back to First Peter, real quick. Thank you, Lord. First Peter, chapter five. First Peter five five. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So unworthiness may not look and may not have, you know, the bumper stickers and the commercials and the banners and the money and the riches and the glory and, you know, on TV, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But yet unworthiness and pride both have the same byproduct. You cannot receive what you need from God. Are you seeing this? It says that God resists. Think about that. He resists. Two major hindrances that I see, unworthiness and pride. People come to God with pride and and He resists them and therefore they don't get the answers, they don't get the results in their prayer life. And so they refuse. Now, what do they do? Now they stop coming to God because they know when you come into the presence of your Father and the light and the knowledge of that glory, it will expose, like David said, whatever iniquity is there. That's why he gives us uh, the, uh, what do you call, that's why he gives us an addendum. (laughs) Therefore, come boldly. Because you're going to see some stuff, but don't worry about it because I already took care of that. And so when you come boldly, I'll I'll help you get rid of that. That's why when you bring your junk to God, you don't bring it and feel unworthy and feel disgusting and feel degraded and feel, you. man, you ought to feel bad about yourself. God doesn't do that. God goes, I've been waiting for you to bring me that. Now I'm going to set you free. Two, Two reasons why people don't. Unworthiness and pride. Pride comes before, that's what the scripture says, right? Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in your, and grace in your time of need. 
they both have the same product. God's not resisting this one. He's resisting this one. But the resistance has the same manifestation as the unworthiness. Now, in my experience, it's been a whole lot easier to talk to this person than it is to this person. Because there's something about pride that pushes you against the truth of God's Word. But someone who feels unworthy, do you know what the solution to unworthiness is? Stand up. You know what the solution is to unworthiness? Thank you. The solution to pride is the same thing. But when you're prideful, you resist it. And so the effects of it doesn't penetrate as much as the one who feels unworthy. Are you following me? Unworthiness. That's why, that's why in John chapter 14, 16, 17, 18, Jesus spent the last part of his ministry talking about love. And he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Because love is what's going to conquer the unworthiness. What are our beliefs formed out of? The Word of God? Why is it so important to minister the Word of God to someone? Because it will take the belief that they're unworthy and it'll cut it off at its knees and plant a new belief that you have been made worthy and therefore you can come boldly and therefore you can come to the throne of grace with full assurance of faith. Why? Because you pour into them God's love. For God so loved the world that He came, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, who are you? Whosoever that believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's how you overcome that unworthiness. You overcome it by the Word. You establish a new belief system in them, and then you encourage them. Question. Here's a question. Let's say you've been walking through this, and you have been penetrated by the love of God and people are loving on you and you join the church and you've just been coming to New Covenant and you've been here for a year and you love God and people love you and then something happens, do you still have a choice to govern your life by what you believe or govern your life by your flesh? So then what? Galatians chapter 6. Brothers... Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Real quick and then we'll get into the last part of this. Galatians chapter 6. What do you do with somebody who's had that belief formed in them and now has turned loose of that belief for whatever reason? Because we've all done it. Don't act like you hadn't. You might have did it this morning. Brethren, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. Is he talking to the pastors? Who's he talking to? So how come when you find out that somebody is uh, operating outside the confines of marriage, can I just say it that way? How come your first response is, we got to call Pastor Lawrence? Well, we got to, man, we got to call the elders. Are you spiritual? Are you governing your life by what you believe? And what you believe is being based upon the Word of God, 
then this tells me that every one of us should be and are equipped to sit someone down in our living room or in our kitchen and say, Granny Carol, let me help you. But instead, we try to throw them into an assembly line. And the assembly line they need is relationship. Come on now. Relationship. At the last part of Jesus' ministry, when he could draw the biggest crowds, when he could raise the biggest offerings, when he could blow up Twitter and Facebook and have everything, just have thousands, hundreds of thousands of people there, what did he do? He sat down with his disciples and he said, I'm going to pour into you because my life is coming to an end. I'm going to put some things in you because you need it. And you need to understand it's about relationship. Why do we focus on connect groups so much? Uh, Barry and Ina, y'all stand up. Uh, Earl and Carol, y'all stand up. Casey, stand up. And uh, Kevin and Trish, stand up. Alright, so these are our four connect groups. Right? Why do we focus on these connect groups just as much as we focus on Sunday? Because we'd be here all day if any, anybody got any questions about this morning's uh, sermon. And so what happens in the convent, I went to Barry and Ina's the other week and uh, if you go there, I'm just warning you, the cookies are habit-forming. So we went there, and, and, and we gathered together, and we prayed together, and we, and we shared the word with one another, and then we ended up having a word for a younger couple. You can't do that on a Sunday. Jesus said, that, that he said, forsake, go into all the world and make disciples. Galatians says, you who are spiritual... If you see a brother in a fault, you, who? You who are spiritual, restore. How do you restore somebody without relationship? Thank you. You guys can be seated. You can't. Some of you are looking for answers. Some of you are looking to pray for somebody. Some of you want prayer in your life. And I'm telling you the answer to what you're looking for is within the confines of the structure that God has created in the book of Acts. And that is family. It's not just Sunday mornings. It's Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights or Monday nights whenever you meet for your connect groups. And you plug in together. Uh, Brother Bill's got a men's group that meets on Monday nights. Uh, Sister Pam Wagner, she's got some ladies that meet at her house on Tuesday nights and they pray together and they talk and they shop. That's where you're going to find it. Your beliefs and what you know about the Word of God is strengthened because it's a place where the Word of God comes alive. Because you're not just having a relationship with a book. You're having a relationship with the one who wrote the book and other people who have the relationship with him. And then you come together and it begins to do something in you. So what do we have in prayer? James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the byproduct, oh, the byproduct of coming to God is more of him coming, how can I say it? Okay, let me say it this way. 
If you spend time as a married couple together, will you become more married? If you spend less time together, does that make you less married? But when you come together as husband and wife and you spend time together, what does that do? It, it makes you become more like each other. The thing that transpired on your wedding day, the two shall become one, is a manifestation of what happens when you spend time together. You become more like each other. You become more together. You, become, you learn more about each other. You become, you be, you're able now to flow together more than you've ever flown together because, flown, because you've ever flowed together because of that oneness that happens. When you and I come to God, what happens? It makes us more together. In John chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. In John chapter 11, this is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus prayed and he said this. Then Jesus, verse 38, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, it's going to stink. Because it had been four days. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, you ready? Father, Daddy, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they might believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Draw near to God. What did Jesus do? What was his lifestyle? He would go away many times. He would depart from the disciples to be with his father. Jesus said, I only do... I only say what my father tells me to do. Maybe the reason, and I'm just throwing this out there, but maybe the reason why you and I are not seeing the manifestation of the glory of God in our lives and our prayer life is because we don't know what he's saying and we don't know what he's showing us because we ain't spending time with him to show us. Jesus didn't say, anything out of scripture all he said was lord father excuse me i know that you've heard me there was a confidence in his relationship that only comes from spending time with him and he did not it doesn't say that he's prayed in tongues for six hours it doesn't say that he walked around the grave trying to muster up the faith 
It says it came, it came. There was only one other time where Jesus cried out. You want to know where it was? On the cross where he said, Father, why have thou forsaken me? He says he cried out and says, Lazarus, come forth. And you know, some people say, why did he say, why did he say Lazarus? Because if he just said come forth, everybody would have got up. There is, listen to me, I know that's funny and it sounds cool, but it's true. There is not a word. God does not use, Jesus did not use a word. He did not mince his words. He did not not use a word. Every word that he used was for a purpose. Lazarus, come forth. And he came. That's the shortest prayer. Jesus spent about eight seconds praying to the Father and then commanded Lazarus to come forth. Now you tell me what we got in prayer. That same power, that same relationship we have access to because he said, as I was, now you are in this world. Go and occupy until I come back. These signs, come on somebody, these signs will follow them that what? What is believe? These signs will follow those that govern what they think, what they say, and what they do according to what they believe. These signs will follow those. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will raise the dead. They will heal the sick. And if they touch any deadly thing, it will by no means harm them. How is that possible? That's possible because of our relational connection with Him through Him in prayer. I tell you right now, this guy over here that feels unworthy, he ain't raising nobody from the dead. Sure enough, ain't praying for somebody. And if something bites him, he's going to have to go to the doctor. Because why? Because he, he's not, he can't get to the place. He can't come to the throne to find grace and boldness and help in time of need because he can't get there because he's blocked by unworthiness. This guy sure enough ain't going to go over there because he feels too proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Mm. Now, last but not least, go to Ezekiel. Are you okay? Can you give me a few more minutes? Ezekiel. Everybody's like, where's Ezekiel at? It's in the Old Testament. Just flip to the front of your Bible, and it'll give you, you know, 680. <laughs> page 727 in your hymnals. Ezekiel, what is it about prayer? What is it about stepping into this place of prayer that causes us to see things and know things by the Spirit? What is that? It's not just us coming to God and telling Him what we want. It's coming to God and downloading what it is that He wants to do through us. What is it about it? Ezekiel, now Ezekiel was a prophet. He was a priest and a prophet. And he had a vision the prophet of the Lord, what do prophets do? What are they? They're called seers. So Ezekiel had a vision and he saw something. What did he see? Ezekiel chapter 1. He begins to describe the vision of the Lord that he gave, that he was given. And he says, verse 13, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches. 
going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. Now the appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl. And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Let me see if I can help shepherd you through this, okay? Let me see if I can give you some of what, what I've seen, what, what I've tried to study, what I'm, I'm going to try to endeavor to articulate what I believe Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is seeing something. You understand that? It's not, a, it's not a word of knowledge. He's not being downloaded. He's actually seeing it in a vision. And the best way he can describe it is a wheel within a wheel. All right, so think of a bicycle tire or think of a tire and think of your rim, the center wheel, and all your rim, your spokes, or if you've got a five-spoke rim, or maybe you got spinners, I don't know, maybe whatever you got on your car or your bicycle, but you got the spokes. And he said, I see a wheel on earth, but I see a wheel within the wheel. And so you and I, we live our life on the outside edge of this wheel. And we are dictated by time. Come on, somebody. We're dictated by time. The only thing you have confidence of is what has happened yesterday and what is happening now. But you don't know what's going to happen because you're on this wheel. But the wheel within the wheel is God. Because, see, God is the maker. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher. He knows the end from the beginning. So that means God lives outside of the confines of time. God is the original time traveler. When he looks at time, he sees the beginning. You know what the scripture says? From the end. So he sees it in the vast expanse of his imagination, of his clarity. He sees time. We can't understand that. I mean, your hard drive in your brain is going. But he sees it. That means he sees us right here, right this moment. And he sees Jesus dying on the cross. Come on. So Ezekiel says, okay, I'm going to try to articulate the best way. I see a wheel within a wheel. What has this got to do with prayer? He was transported into a place where he begins to see something and he's trying to describe it. Uh, go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 53. And I'm going to try to land this plane right here, okay? Isaiah 53. A wheel within a wheel. You know that the wheel inside of the wheel sees and everything that comes out of it comes from that wheel. So that means everything flows out of that rim. The ones who live on the outside of that rim, they don't know what's going to happen next. But the rim, the inside of the wheel does because everything penetrates outside of that wheel. He said, I see a wheel, a wheel within a wheel. 
Isaiah chapter 53, how many of you know Isaiah was a prophet? So what did he do? Once again, what do, I, what do prophets do? They sing. There's more prophecies, messianic prophecies in Isaiah than anywhere else in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? Isaiah is now transported into a present day situation. For us, not for us, but Isaiah was some 1,600 years before Jesus. So Isaiah is now transported into the time and he's seeing Jesus. Listen to me. He's seeing Jesus. And what does he say? I, I, who's going to believe this? The Bible says that the prophets of old look at us and long to be on this side of the veil where we live now. In this new covenant, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit has come in us. And they long for that. And Isaiah says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? All right, now, are you ready? Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We talked about that last week that the word for griefs and sorrows was not correctly translated in the original Hebrew. The literal meaning is sicknesses and pains. Surely He has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, yet we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are. Now, what is, what is he seeing? What is a past tense man talking about a future tense event and relating it in a present tense verb? What is he doing? A past tense man relating and articulating a future event that he has now been trans, you know, stepped into the Star Trek portal. And now he sees Jesus, and the only way he can describe it is he was, he's talking about Jesus as if it was. So apparently he saw Jesus smitten, stricken, and then he says, by his stripes we, because he's seeing it in real time. When you and I pray, we step into a place where now we're no longer limited to this will, now we have access to this will. Come on now. And when we step into that portal of prayer and we begin to pray, oh God, I mean, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You are the one who created the wheel in the wheel and all the wheels that rotate and all the wheels go. And the, but what is the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. I'm, I got three kids, so, you know, it just comes out. Oh, Lord, you know what wheels are going around and around and what we got need of. And, Lord, behold what's going on in my life and grant unto thy servant. And there's something that transpires in prayer that we don't quite understand. But God opens up the veil and says, let me show you something that's coming. I want you to pray about this. Why is that important? Because if you and I will begin to see things as God sees them, 
it will build a level of confidence in us and we will approach our prayer room differently because we're not trapped. We're tapped into that center hub and the one who knows what's going to happen can help us articulate it down here on earth. Thy will be done. Where? As it is. As it is. Lord, help me pray. You know, when we come together tomorrow night, Lord, help us pray this thing out. What do I mean? You got the center of the wheel. Help us pray what spoke is next. What's tomorrow? What's next month? What's next week? Help us to see it as if it's right here, right now. So that when we articulate it to people and we're praying for people, we can say, uh, Sister, I was praying and the Lord showed me that it's already done. See, there's, some, there's a level of confidence that is built in us when we articulate it that way. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, by his, whose by His stripes we were. See, 1 Peter was looking back. Isaiah was right there seeing it as it happened. And the only way he could describe it was, Guys, you are healed. You'll never go beyond what your mind can conceive. So there must be something. There must be something in the relational transaction with God that allows us to step beyond what we know and what we see. And now we step into a portal where we see things as God sees it because we are like Him. We are His little sons and daughters running around on this earth. And so we step into this portal and now He shares His heart and now we see beyond what we can see. That's the power of prayer. Do you understand what we have? Well, what if I don't know what to pray? I got one for you, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be articulated with articulate speech is what one Greek scholar says. You can't articulate it with your normal language. So he gives you ways to articulate it in the Spirit because you are beyond yourself now and you are in the Spirit. Because you and I are spirit beings. When we die, this world is going to be gone. And our flesh, we're going to get a new body. But our flesh and our minds are going to be our, but our minds are going to be connected to our spirit and our spirit man will live on. There's something about if I can if I can say this, let me say it like this. As we close. Prayer goes beyond, oh Lord Jesus help us. And Lord, thank you for helping me pass, you know, my test. Uh, Lord, thank you for helping me to get that promotion. No, 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 no. Stop. Father, I thank you that you hear me. (laughs) 
Because all them cray-cray folk over there that said that you ain't listening to me. But I know you listen to me because it ain't got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with your son and his blood. And so now I come to you with boldness because of that blood. And I say, behold, their threatenings. And so as you're praying now, this problem that was, you know, that seems insurmountable. Listen to me. That seems, you know that this is smoke and mirrors on the earth. The only thing the enemy's trying to get us to do is get us to walk away from the truth of his word. And so this problem in it just seems big and it, it just seems heavy. And we step into that place and we begin to articulate with our spirit the heart of God and who God is. And now we look up and now that problem is about that big. And now we keep praying and we keep interceding. And then before you know it, it becomes that big. And you go, what is that? And you say, grant unto thy servant that with all boldness I can attack that problem. Because now you've tapped into the wheel within a wheel and you got the answer. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's have a time of ministry right now. I know we've run over, but I don't want to run. How many of you believe that you can come boldly to the throne of grace no matter what? I'm going to ask uh, the elders to come forth. I'm going to ask the, home, the connect group leaders to come forth. Y'all come on forth. Barry and Ina, Kevin and Trish. Carol and Earl, y'all come on up real quick. I don't want to take up no more of your time than come on. We do things as couples. Hallelujah. I know if you gotta go, I understand. I'm not trying to rush you or hold you back, but I do want you to I want everybody to just be still and be quiet for just a moment. I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray something over us. And then I want to turn it loose to the Holy Spirit to continue to do ministry as He sees fit. But this is serious right here, right now. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, what do I mean by that? I mean, He said to the little boy, He said, come. And the little boy came and He said, if you will be like this child, if you will be humble like this child, you'll be the greatest. Jesus is saying, come. The Spirit of God is beckoning. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, what does that mean? That means you just say, you know what, Lord, I'm all in. I mean, I've been trying to do this thing on my own, and now I just... The Bible says if you believe in your heart, you can't believe unless you've heard the Word of the Lord. You've heard the Word of the Lord this morning. You've heard the Scripture. That by His stripes you were healed. That for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If that's you and you want prayer and you want us to pray for you, would you be so bold as to hold your hand up? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking at you but just me. Would you hold your hand up because I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Maybe you've, okay, let me, let me say it this way. Maybe you've been in a place where 
You've run from the Lord. You were born again. Or and, and go with me on this. You still are born again. But there's something inside of you that says you need to make a declaration. You need to just almost like re-enlist. You just need to give a, give a fresh you know, Lord, I, I've made some mistakes and I've run, but I don't want to run no more. I'm in. I'm all in. Where's my orders? Where you want me? Put me where you want me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Glory to God. Now, would you be so bold as to come forth? We want to pray for you. Would you? Would you do that for me? Come on, sister. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah hallelujah just stretch your hands forward towards these Father we thank you in the name of Jesus hallelujah This is serious. Come on, guys. Stretch your hands forth. Father, we thank you for these that have come to give their life, rededicate their life, give their life for the first time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want everybody to just lift their hands up. We're just going to all pray this with them. I want everybody to pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this world when I was still a sinner and I was dead in sin. You sent your only begotten Son to die for me. I recognize that, I receive that, and now I confess that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. While these are being ministered to, I want to just open this up, okay? If you've got any needs, any prayers, it doesn't matter what it is, and you want us to pray with you, would you... Come on forward. We want to pray. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to stand together with you on whatever situation is in your life, whether it's something financially, whether it's something physically. Maybe you got something physically going on in your life, a pain, a sickness, a disease, or whatever, and you want us to pray for you. Hallelujah. During our time of worship, um, this word came to me concerning uh, wonders and miracles of God. He said, many are the wonders and miracles you have read about, 
in my word, but I say many, many, many are the wonders yet to come. Yes. Many, many, many are the miracles yet to come. Many, many, many are the healings yet to come. And you will be the witnesses of those wonders and miracles and healings. And many of you will be the recipient of those wonders and miracles and healings. Do not doubt your worth in my eyes to receive all I have for you. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, don't want to interrupt what the Lord's doing, but I know some of you need to go. So I'm going to ask Brother Earl if he would pray for us and dismiss us. Don't forget, just be sensitive this week to what the Spirit of the Lord wants to do in you and through you. Come boldly to that throne and come join us Wednesday night for our connect groups. Brother Earl, would you dismiss us? Oh, Heavenly Father, creator of all things in heaven and in earth, Lord, I pray that You'd watch over us and keep us, Lord, and guide, guard, and direct. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.